for us, automated content is important because, I mean, it's fast. And we have one robot who works on, on traffic. And the robot is so much faster than our own reporters. It's, a, it's about getting more content or more journalism on those parts that we know make a difference for subscriptions. So once we got to a place where the bot was publishing on its own, newsroom was comfortable, we still have our real estate reporters writing content. For me, as looking at growth and monetization, I said, go, can we build a newsletter now? Absolutely, now we have enough. So now we have enough content to build another product. It's just the ability to come close to details in people's lives. People really sense that we're close up to their lives, like uh, the neighbor selling their house, the business reports as well that it might be really small businesses, but that has a great impact on uh, their neighborhood or uh, the city or the area, but we never write about them. In, in a way, we're closer to people with the automatic journalism. It's gonna change how you think about your journalism. So if the routine stuff becomes automatable, that anyone can do that, frankly. And we've already got to that point where kind of routine news, um, a machine can tell me that um, something's happened. So the onus is very much on what can you add? Can you add empathy, entertainment, insight, expertise, judgment, the human touch, creativity, all those things are gonna be at a premium. There's one topic everyone is talking about right now. AI. Since ChatGPT burst onto the scene in November 2022, the potential of AI tools has become very clear to the otherwise uninitiated. Now, everyone from politicians to teachers, technologists, artists and writers are having to grapple with the explosion in use of generative AI and the very real impact it will have on our everyday lives. But away from the hype of ChatGPT, Bard, and other headline-grabbing AI chatbots and generators, it's important to remember that AI isn't a new area for publishers. From simple tasks like social media posts to content recommendations, right through to more complex tasks like distilling mass datasets in a way that reporters can make sense of, we've been using these tools for a number of years. I'm one of the Media Voices co-hosts, Esther Kaziah-Thorpe, and you're listening to a special episode of Media Voices sponsored by United Robots. For publishers of all shapes and sizes, artificial intelligence is still a largely untapped area. Some prominent brands like BuzzFeed have made industry headlines by announcing their plans to use AI to generate quizzes, while CNET won't be the last publication to get in trouble for letting major errors slip through on articles written by robots. We're buckling up for an absolute tsunami of AI-generated content, more than any of us will ever be able to consume in our lifetimes. The opportunity for publishers, then, as pointed out by Douglas McCabe of Ender's Analysis, is to distinguish themselves from the rest of the internet. This doesn't mean shunning AI. Instead, we should be looking at how we can use it to free writers, reporters and journalists up to do what they do best. Some of the best examples of how this can work in practice can be seen in local media. Often, such organisations have fewer resources than big names like the New York Times or Bloomberg, and they certainly aren't able to indulge in speculative development and testing of these tools. 
Instead, there has to be a clearly defined use case, straightforward implementation, and measurable return on investment. This has been the focus of a new report from Media Voices, Practical AI for Local Media. In this report, Peter Houston explores the myths and misconceptions surrounding AI, what it looks like in practice in local media organisations, the benefits it brings, and how to get started. The report also includes five case studies from local publishers around the world, who you'll be hearing from throughout this episode, and how they've been using AI tools for years to generate and publish journalism that gives local media an edge. We're focused on local news organisations, but the processes they went through internally to explore and apply AI tools can benefit publishers of all shapes and sizes, so please do read it if you're looking at what AI can do for you. You can download the report at voices.media slash practical AI. Before we get into the episode, a huge thank you to United Robots who have made this possible by sponsoring the report and this episode. Their mission is to empower local news publishers by helping free up reporter time, expand coverage, and grow the business by providing routine reporting produced by robots on structured data on topics like sports and real estate. They've helped a number of the publishers cited in the report get started with automated content, and Cecilia Campbell and her team are hugely knowledgeable about the real opportunities in AI for publishers. You can find out more about them at unitedrobots.ai. As with all new technologies, publishers need to be able to see firm use cases for AI that fit their businesses. There's a delicate balance to be struck here between chasing the next shiny new thing and being too slow off the mark to bring in tools that could genuinely be transformative to staff. In fact, with the rate of development, it could be argued that publishers simply cannot afford to ignore AI, as Cecilia Campbell of United Robots explains. I know that deploying AI and automation can seem like a daunting task for publishers, and I I realise that some question the tech outright, but I honestly believe that the best course of action, as with any new tech that comes along, is for publishers to jump in, start testing, and most importantly, to try and be proactive about what they do. Get in the driver's seat and don't get left behind. You have much more to lose by doing nothing. But for something like AI, knowing where to start can feel like an impossible task. It's one that the team at the London School of Economics are helping to address through their Journalism AI project, which is a global initiative helping news organisations to use artificial intelligence responsibly. Professor Charlie Beckett is leading LSE's Journalism AI project and says that fundamentally, this is not a question of looking at AI as a type of technology, but rather a tool that can be used to solve common publisher problems. Well, if you think about it, when they invented the electric light bulb, everyone thought it was magic. And in fact, it was quite a very sort of, not simple bit of physics, but it was a very basic bit of physics. For us, it's not about the technology, strangely. We don't have technology teams that are creating uh, completely new systems. We have got people who are trying to create product, if you like. They're trying to create tools. Or, very importantly, trying to see how that tech fits into a system. What's the system that you can have that will use that technology in an efficient and effective way? It's a tool. Sometimes you'll bodge a tool, you'll make it up, you'll adapt it. Um, Sometimes you'll think of clever ways of using a tool that other people are using for a different purpose. But with journalism, you know, we've been here before, right from the beginning with printing, right the way through uh, to more recent, you know, the shift to video and then digital and so on. 
uh, thinking about the mobile phone, the, well, you didn't know, need to know how it worked technologically to be creative and efficient about and adaptable about how you use those tools. And that's the bit that's, that's you know, obviously the proof of, of the pudding. In practice, most of the technology is actually relatively narrow forms of AI. But because they can operate at such speed and at such scale, uh, and because now with Jack Chat DDP, they can, in a sense, teach themselves, they are able to do these basic tricks much more quickly. Uh, that doesn't make them magic, but it does have a kind of trans, or it can have a transformational uh, impact on a, a particular problem, usually, rather than some sort of universal solution to all your your woes as a newsroom. So for those publishers who have already taken the leap, what problems were they trying to solve and what benefits are they seeing from using AI? As part of this report, Peter Houston spoke to five local media organisations about their projects, the rewards they're reaping, some of the pitfalls, and most importantly, what advice they would give to other publishers about getting started. Cynthia DeBose is the Vice President of Audience Growth and Content Monetization at McClatchy, a local news publisher in the United States. Their biggest challenge across the 30 markets they cover was consistent information gathering. So they started exploring the potential of AI to help with their real estate coverage, as she explains. So we started this journey 18 months ago. I can't believe it. It doesn't seem like that. We were looking at what were our audiences engaging with? What type of content? And a lot of that content had information at its core. And where were their opportunities? And the biggest one that jumped out was real estate, right? Like anytime we wrote about real estate, we saw an audience there. So then we started looking at opportunities to produce that type of content at scale. And structured data was available across all the regions, and that helped make it feasible. And so then we looked at real estate transactions. So our problem was, how can we get real estate information? And if you think 18 months ago that everybody wanted to know, how much is my house? Can I get a house? What is selling? So if you thought about real estate information and trying to do this at scale, that was our issue. We couldn't do it fast enough. But being able to have the ability to scrape that information and build a bot that could report on that was important. And so for us, we still have real estate reporters. We have them in many of our markets and they were reporting on issues. Um, one of Two of our newsrooms, Charlotte Observer, Raleigh News and Observer, have an award-winning and in-depth investigation about private equity firms buying up single homes in North Carolina. That's what our journalists were reporting. And so we worked to develop a bot that could report on the transactions. Here's what sold this week in these zip codes. Here's what it sold for. And we've gotten to the point where now we have the most expensive or sometimes the, the cheapest sales that have happened in your area. Sheepstead-owned Norwegian newspaper Stavanger Affenblad knew that they were doing a good job of covering major sporting events. But they simply didn't have the resource to cover smaller matches. Deputy News Editor Ellen Stuland says that that was their starting point for exploring AI. Stavanger Aftenblad is the biggest uh, uh, newspaper in the Stavanger area. And, and we have one football team called uh, Vikings, of course. We're really good covering them, like everything they uh, basically say and do. 
we cover. We 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 write about training camps, um, team withdrawals, sale of players. Uh, you know, we stream training matches, report knee injuries, like every single detail you can read about it in Stavanger Aftenblad. But there is so many uh, people and kids playing uh, uh, soccer in our area that we never ever write about, and to them. The matches are as important, uh, but it's just uh, a lower s- scale and, and less people being interested in each match. So that was kind of the uh, start of the project. How can we take them seriously uh, and, and make them feel that their hobby, kind of their everyday life is, is a matter for the newspaper? And like most journalists, at least the, those I know, think that uh, technology or at least um, robot journalism would be a threat to what they're doing, you know. Uh, but this is like this is really something we never would do to to cover all those matches. So technology would be the only option for us, because we speak about I think it's about uh, around ten thousand players and like seven thousand matches uh, every season. So there would be no chance for us to cover all this. So that was kind of the start of the idea. Audience needs are a core driver of these projects, as we'll hear more about later on. One of Sweden's largest local media groups, NTM, has been experimenting with AI since 2016, but they began looking more seriously at its use of AI in 2020 in order to supercharge their subscription focus, as their head of editorial development, Jens Pettersson, outlines. We are very subscription-focused, uh, and we've been doing a retake on that since we started charging for content in 2017 and we did a uh, restart in 2020 where we initiated a uh, higher speed uh, on this. And the, using uh, robot text is, is one of the, the elements in, in that uh, in that speed and that transition because uh, it makes us it makes it easier for us to, to publish the right content for the right reader uh, in, in, a, in a higher higher tempo. The thing was that NTM is a media conglomerate in Sweden who consists of uh, 18 different uh, news titles uh, situated all around Sweden. Uh, And we had a situation where everyone uh, was doing pretty much their own strategy when it comes to subscriptions. Um, They could choose the settings of the paywalls themselves. They could choose the settings of the KPIs and and the analytics and that stuff. And what we did in 2020 was to create a joint venture with all these companies around Sweden uh, and doing it together uh, and um, putting together a team on a central level where co- close collaboration between subscriptions department and editorial development and started to do stuff together and finding a strategy together uh, and talk together and do stuff together. Uh, so we, we, we started off with something we call Let's Get Ready to Double, which is like just the name of the storytelling of the strategy. Uh, it all starts with like the super crystal clear goal of in three years, we want to double up on digital subscribers. We want the double amount. So we decided to go from 55,000 in 2020 to 110,000 in 2023. And uh, to do that, we needed to accelerate on so many uh, different areas. Uh, and of course, on, on journalism and what kind of journalism we decide to, to focus on and do, but also all the stuff around analytics and creating better tools for our reporters to work in to, to improve our product and the websites and the apps to create a decent onboarding uh, for the new customers to receive emails who can tell them what, what, how to use us and that we really love them. 
Improving reader engagement was a key aim for another publisher, Dutch daily newspaper NRC. They have a number of AI projects on the go and always ask whether a new project will have a benefit to their readers and journalists, as data and innovation manager Luke Willikens outlines. The most important thing is for us when we use uh, AI is that it's, it has to fit within our NRC DNA. It has to help our either our journalists or our readers, and most of the times both. So that's uh, interesting uh, to find that. But for example, what we did with our uh, automated and personalized newsletter is that we wanted to find ways to engage our readers more to our journalism and also create more uh, room, space, time for our editors to do other things. For example, we have the, uh, the automated newsletter, which we started two years ago. Every newsletter we had at, the, at that time was an editorial newsletter, which was manually created by an editor, sometimes taking up to two to three hours to create an entire newsletter, to do the selection of the newsletter to choose the images, uh, to test with headlines, etc., things like that. What we have done with um, the automated newsletter is that all this time is not uh, needed because it's automated. And next to that, we added a personalized layer to it, which also shows us that readers are more interested to click. They are reading more articles from a personalized newsletter at the moment than uh, a newsletter which is uh, picked by the, the editorial staff. The final person Peter spoke to is Joseph Hook, editor at Radar AI. Radar is not a publisher in the same way the others in this episode are. It started as a collaboration between Herbs Media and the Press Association in the UK, where Herbs Media had been experimenting with natural language generation technologies to write stories about the London boroughs. The Press Association helped them take the idea and use it on a national level across the UK with the help of some Google News Initiative funding. We started out as a sort of test case, a, a free service for local publishers to see whether they would use stories that were written in this way. Um, they did. They used it prominently. Uh, we saw a lot of front pages and things. So it was clearly an idea that was there was enough there to work. Um, then after that, we became a sort of more traditional wire model. So we have subscribers across local paper groups in the UK, um, plus a couple of other things, the likes of MSN News use our content for some localised content. And they subscribe to our wire for a certain number of local authorities, and then they get stories we deliver specific to those local authorities. Now, Radar is a classic wire model driven by AI, with a small team of journalists helping provide local newsrooms across the UK with relevant stories. I'd actually say it is fairly traditional journalism. What we're doing is we're using the the AI, if you like, the, the natural language generation to, to localise that and make it a lot more personal. So the, the problem with a wire model is that it can be very difficult to make stories very specific to specific publications, especially on a local level. So they're good at covering things of national interest and they're good at covering things Obviously, everything happens in a place. So every now and then they'll have a story which applies to a local paper, but not necessarily good at targeting those local papers and those local readers specifically. So what we do is we write our stories in a template form. So we'll take a data set which has data broken down um, locally. So that could be broken down in a variety of ways. It might be by a local authority. For, it might be by a police force area if it's crime stats. It might be by NHS trust if it's health stats. And we write those, we write a template, which we then use to 
effectively write a story for each area. So it's often a few templates because the type of story depends on what the numbers say. So if you were to take a basic example, something like knife crime, there might be three main angles we'd look at. There'd be areas where knife crime has dropped despite it rising nationally. There would be areas where knife crime has risen and there might be areas where knife crime has reached a record high. Each of those templates needs a slightly different way of telling the story. Um, So we would write a template for each of those versions. We use this natural language technology to get a lot of nuance in the language and make sure it reads in a human way. It doesn't just read like a a mail merge for sort of one of a better example. Uh, And it also obviously pulls through all the appropriate numbers for your area. So it you know, it tells you the story in your area, gives you the specific figures, does the thing a local journalist would do if they were on that paper. Successful AI projects have a whole host of benefits for publishers. From helping cover stories that human journalists simply don't have time to do, to combing vast data sets to spot trends and patterns, the possibilities are endless. Professor Charlie Beckett says that this is something all journalists have a responsibility to be thinking about. I think there's a kind of fundamental challenge here to journalists, which is what do you do using this technology or just what do you do that not just this technology can't do, but other people could use that tech to do the same thing. That's fine in some ways. But if you believe in the idea of journalism as a practice which seeks to establish accuracy, reliable information, to be independent, to be critical, to be accessible... Um, to, you know, to make the news interesting, um, then if other people can start to do it using these technologies, then there's a danger that the journalism people get left out of the informational uh, ecosystem. So I think in that sense, there's a, it's really important that people at least consider how these technologies can help them. It's going to change how you think about your journalism. So if the routine stuff becomes automatable, that anyone can do that, frankly. We've already got to that point where kind of routine news, a machine can tell me that something's happened. So the onus is very much on what can you add? Can you add empathy, entertainment, insight, expertise, judgment, the human touch, creativity? All those things are going to be at a premium because the more that you can automate the basic stuff, the kind of commodity journalism, then the less it matters where you get it from, perhaps. So I think that's quite an interesting challenge for news organisations. Cecilia Campbell says that for many of the publishers they speak to, volume is the main driver and the clearest benefit to starting out with AI. So the robot can create one or 500 articles in the same amount of time, And if you have a system where you can get those 500 articles to the right person in terms of your audience and geography, then you can fill all these gaps of um, information that you could never do manually. I mean, we have some clients in the States who choose just to do like the top 10 lists of the most expensive houses. And that's great, but they only get uh, 20 articles a month. But some of them have understood that if I can if I can send the neighborhood sales to that neighborhood, then that is going to drive engagement in small clusters hyper locally. So the volume is really yeah, the volume is really key. NTM have seen the benefits of AI, especially in terms of speed of reporting. 
Now they see the tool as a co-worker, as Jens Pettersen explains. For us, automated content is important because, I mean, it's fast. And we have one robot who works on, on traffic. And the robot is so much faster than our own reporters who will like see an email in their inbox from, from uh, the authorities telling us, alert, this, uh, there's been an accident, to uh, putting up the text in the CMS and getting it out on the website. Uh, I mean, the robot is instant. It's like, it's super fast. So in that sense, it's really good. I used to describe the reporter as like fast, focused, and with a very high work capacity. He's an ideal reporter. Uh, I mean, the robot can write so many texts and it's really focused on those areas that we want it to be. It's like a super laser-focused uh, co-worker in that sense. Uh, and it's, of course, it's got high work capacity. I mean, we, can, we get a lot of text out of this, uh, this functionality as the robot is. It's, for us, it's the, all these three parts that we can get. I mean, it's, a, it's about getting more content or more journalism on those parts that we know make a difference for subscriptions. And that's where the robots come in and they help us out, out with that. The frantic robots are coming to steal our jobs headlines have circulated with ever-increasing regularity in recent years, but none of the publishers we spoke to have seen AI as a replacement for their jobs. In fact, some, like Stavanger Affenblad, have seen such success that it's enabled them to add more journalists to the team. Technology itself is, is just a good helper. So what we've been doing is uh, matching uh, technology with uh, the best people we could find. So we have a dedicated journalist that works uh, with this full-time, and we even added another one because uh, it worked so well. So we've been reaching out to all the, the football clubs, telling them that we would start this, and then following it up and making them able in an easy way to report when automatic articles are not correct. So kind of in the start, people would um, have fun with it uh, every now and then, uh, putting in that they won, you know, 30-0. But at the end of the day, it's not that fun because uh, there are players involved, there's uh, a competing team. So we kind of, we've been learning them how to do this in a good way. And, uh, and, and that effort really turns out to be a, a much better product. Radar's Joseph Hook says that, especially for local publishers, automation provides an opportunity to get human reporters back out in their communities. I think there's a huge amount of value to be brought through automation. It, it can simplify processes, it can free up time, it can, on this basic level, in a local newsroom, it can do a lot of the stuff that ties people to their desks, freeing them up to go out and do the, you know, getting out and meeting people that tends to be decried as something that's being lost a bit in journalism. So I think there's a lot of like real hope for what I can do there because you sort of had your period where local journalism was a bit more about that and then people have found themselves a little more tied to their desks and I hope that that frees itself up again as more automation and better processes and allow you to not have to do that so much. So I think there's there's huge benefit to it there. Not only can AI reporting allow reporters to do other things, but it can provide pointers for journalists to dig deeper into. Jens noted that this happened with some of the alerts they've had at NTM. It's important in that sense because it frees up time for the human reporters to bring along their analytical mind in a sense. Uh, I mean, the robot can do the the boring work and then the reporter can look into that. I mean, some, some of these products we get from United Robots are actually more worth as an alert on, hey, there's something going on here. 
this this house was has been sold four times uh, in six months and it's getting higher like a million in the Swedish krona more expensive for every time what's going on here so so it's uh, it's like the researcher for us in some sense Many of the existing AI tools and projects involve bringing together large data sets and drawing out patterns, which journalists can then discover stories from. Given the sheer volume of data available now, in some cases AI is the only viable way to approach this, as Joseph explains. So a lot of local papers, specifically smaller local papers, um, are never going to be able to pick up these data sets. They might tell important stories about their area but if you're a local journalist who's got to write four leads that day the amount of time you have to sit and dig into a spreadsheet and, and sort of especially pick out any level of nuance anything other than just the very top level numbers it's just far beyond what you're what you going to have time to do um, and also specifically in small newsrooms there often just aren't people who have that level of data literacy journalists obviously as an on-running joke have always been a little less comfortable with numbers than they could be uh, and i think over time that's no doubt changing, not least because you see journalism courses now tend to have a data element and all that comes in. But even so, if you haven't got the time to do it, you can't do it properly. What we find is that we can spend the time to really get into a story. We can pick up not just a data set and the top level numbers, but we can dig into those numbers. We can find another data set which might provide context or complementary information about it. And we can construct really good stories because for the time we invest into it, we're going to get potentially hundreds of versions of a story out of it. Joseph has also seen radar stories picked up and used as a basis for a more detailed local story, perhaps with additional quotes or context. He thinks that AI provides a piece of the puzzle that otherwise wouldn't be provided, rather than replacing journalists. I strongly suspect that what we find is we're getting stories placed in a lot of papers that didn't have anybody who was ever going to do this type of story. I also think our stories, because we're a wire service, we see them picked up quite a lot by journalists and adapted. So we send all our stories out as a sort of full lead length piece with context, but that tends to be like national quotes, which give a bit more of an idea of the overall picture trend. And we see them used the majority of the time as we as we send them out. But in a significant minority of the time, we see papers picking them up, finding a local voice or finding a local organization and something to to do that last bit of the job so i suspect what we're doing really is a bit of the job that was just never going to get done we're providing not just analysis of those numbers but it written up in a way that means that they can take the the number portion of a story and then do what they want with it either publish it as is with the quotes we provide or just take the numbers take the trend we've described and then find somebody else to provide that bit of context and a, and a voice at McClatchy, using AI bots has allowed their brands to create regularity across their reporting. Cynthia DeBose says that this has really helped with their real estate coverage. We were creating it, but not across as many markets. And we were not creating it on a regular basis. And you can understand, right? Like if, a, if one of our reporters had time to pull it, we would have that information. But if it was a busy week, then we might go weeks or a month without having it. So the bot has allowed us to have regularity. And then of course, at scale in markets where we didn't have even anybody pulling it when they could. Similarly, she's also found the bots have freed up newsroom resource to do other editorial focused tasks that add value to the business. Once we got to a place where the bot was publishing on its own, newsroom was comfortable. We still have our real estate reporters writing content. For me, as looking at growth and monetization, 
I said, yo, can we build a newsletter now? Absolutely. Now we have enough. So now we have enough content to build another product. And that's a product that advertising can go out and say, hey, we also have, you know, real estate newsletters. Um, it's a it's a product that gets us more audience. People who might not typically sign up to receive information from us now want to receive this. We hear from a lot of real estate agents who have signed up, right? Like easy way to keep track. So that's one piece of it and how it helps me. It allows me to have enough content at my disposal to think about new products and new offerings. But we also started to see um, first-time visitors, which really got at the growth aspect. So um, we now estimate that two-thirds of our AI content readers are first-time visitors. So now we have an opportunity to drive them from that coverage deeper into our site, into our reporter created journalism, right? Into other news that they might not realize we have on there. So that it definitely helps with the growth piece because it allows us to reach people that typically might not come and interact with us. But Cynthia was also careful to emphasize that despite AI's benefits, they simply can't replace the work that humans do. For us, in actuality, the robots cannot take the place of a well-sourced and intelligent journalist. It just can't. As we worked during Hurricane Ian, so we built a hurricane bot, right? Um, As Hurricane Ian came close to Florida, we launched that bot. And what it did was that it used AI to scrape the National Hurricane Center, quickly created an article with updates, weather slash hurricane updates. That's not journalism, right? Our journalists reported evacuation, city preparedness, other efforts. That is journalism that cannot be replaced by a robot. After their initial football coverage test, Stavanger Affenblad now has other robots working on real estate and annual reports from businesses in their areas. Ellen emphasizes that this allows them to get closer to their audiences. Oh, it, it's just um, the ability to come close to the details in people's lives. People really sense that we're close up to their lives, like uh, the neighbor selling their house. Uh, okay, we have all the details about that house and also the whole neighborhood when a house is sold. And that's the thing about the business reports as well, that it might be really small businesses, but that has a great impact on uh, their neighborhood or uh, the city or the area, but we never write about them. So in a way, we're closer to people with the automatic uh, journalism. And that's kind of a thing that I wouldn't think of that much before, but it's been really a, a great effect. But it's not all about simply increasing the volume of content. Stavanger Affenblad are a subscription publisher, and Ellen has found that their coverage of local football matches has increased retention rates and subscriber conversions because they're now much more relevant. So the thing is that people opt in and, and buy a subscription to read one article maybe that they, they find interesting, and then they end their subscription because it's just this article or uh, the follow-up article they wanted to, to read. So in my belief, it's kind of to promise the readers uh, uh, what we will serve them with. So here, uh, our promise was to to cover local football like it's Champions League, you know. <laughs> so we kind of promising uh, it's, it's an endless promise. So they they just want to stick with us. So that ends up that the churn is just uh, uh, lower from the start. 
And before we started this, we could have critics saying that oh, you only cover professional soccer. Why don't you care about second division football? It's also important. And now we started this and then people come to us and say, why don't you cover uh, junior hockey and junior handball like you do with soccer, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of a uh, never-ending story of, uh, of people wanting us to write about what their interest is. Strengthening subscriber relationships was a key aim for NTM's numerous automated content projects. They see an increase in relevant content as the best way to strengthen their three pillars which in turn makes people more likely to stick with them. All of this surrounded, like like a storytelling, on three pillars, you might say, value, relationship, and habits. Uh, we need to be crystal clear on what kind of value we bring to the customer when we charge them for the subscription. Uh, what do we give them for the money every month? Uh, but also uh, an effort on strengthening relationship with the reader and the subscriber to come closer and become more human and like building bonds uh, so in that sense, making it more difficult to, to quit the subscription. They, they need to, to love us. And the habit is, is in itself like the mechanism behind subscriptions. I mean, if you can create a habit where you uh, come back very often and, and use a lot of our content or read a lot of our articles, then you will probably uh, end up uh, having a longer, longer lifetime as a, as a subscriber uh, for us. So Let's Get Ready to Double was like trying to, to just speed up on all these pillars at the same time and doing it together with all the companies um, and all the newsrooms. We have 390 journalists, and the power is so much stronger, larger, if we can make all these 390 do it the same way. Luke is also laser-focused on the impact AI can have on subscribers at NRC. They are open with potential readers about the benefits AI can bring them as a subscriber. What we do is, um, on, a, uh, on one hand, we are a, a strange media brand i think because we don't have tracking cookies on our website as we call it journalism is our product and uh, not the reader or the subscriber but what we do is for our subscribers we have the reading history so we know from a subscriber what they have read and we only do that for for subscribers so the thing what we wanted with uh, the automated newsletter uh, was to engage more on our articles so it's um, the newsletter contains 12 articles 12 articles are selected in the newsletters um, about three from these articles are trending articles of the day and then um, nine articles are based on the articles they've read in the past so that's that's the personalized version and we communicated this uh, proactively to all our uh, readers that they were gonna get a newsletter which was personalized and if they wouldn't want to uh, receive a personalized newsletter that was rather easy to opt out for luke the measures of success were very clearly set out from the start the general kpis for all emails uh, open rate uh, ctr or cto and these metrics were higher for this personalized newsletter than it was for our handwritten editorial newsletters and next to that very important one was digital activation this newsletter was for us more a retention use case than it was a, a use case to get more subscribers to NRC but what we did we flagged uh, different segments of, of subscribers and we uh, followed them or we monitored their uh, activity 
uh, for one year. And we saw that more people were getting uh, engaged, digital activated within our uh, base. So we saw that people who were receiving this uh, email yeah, were, were more active on a weekly basis on our website or our app than uh, other subscribers. So that was uh, very positive. That's not to say all experiments with AI have been plain sailing. The publishers we spoke to had encountered various challenges along the way, from reliable data inputs to getting colleagues on board. In many respects, though, journalists are well trained to anticipate and overcome issues that arise, as Charlie Beckett explains. Journalists should know how to do this. They should know how to think about where they're getting their information from. Uh, and in fact, they've shown themselves to be quite manipulable. You know, the PR industry and the propaganda industry of politicians um, and indeed the rise of disinformation often amplified uh, by journalists themselves shows that, you know, journalists need to do a better job. And AI in some ways can help them uh, to do that as well. But it's very important that uh, that journalists recognise that this is absolutely not magic, that those data sets are vulnerable to bias, to distortion, uh, to corruption. And then it also raises other issues around you know, attribution and copyright. If you're using these um, technologies to generate content, for example, do you know where they are getting their data from? Ellen Stuland explains that it will be almost impossible to anticipate all of the potential pitfalls in advance, which is perhaps a good thing. Her team had to find quick workarounds for issues that cropped up. There's a lot of things that you never think of until you're there and realise you have a problem. For instance, there would be a lot of uh, kids playing football uh, that are not mentioned by name because they have certain issues in their family or, you know... Uh, that their coaches never put their name in, or uh, the, the database uh, as such is is that if you're under 13 years old, there will will not be a name uh, for the player. So those things we had a lot of report saying uh, unnamed player scored a goal, uh, you know, uh, and it doesn't really work. So then you have to find a workaround. Okay, so player number 13 scored a goal, or. Yeah, one of the uh, blue, uh, the players in the blue color scored the goal. You know, you, you have to just combine technology with uh, creativity. So um, I think that that's for all startups. You, you don't know about all your problems before you start. I guess then you would never even start. <laughs> Despite these hiccups, Stavanger Affenblad was able to get its AI football content up to speed quickly. In fact, the reason many local Nordic publishers have been able to get ahead with AI content is because they are generally better regionally at data organisation. Ellen Stuland emphasises that without a good data set, projects like these can be very difficult. The thing is that uh, crap in, crap out. So if you have a, a good base of data, that just solves everything because then you just need to be very organised uh, to make it a good product. But if the data is chaotic, then you, you will never succeed with these things because there will be so many sources of uh, missing information and our readers wouldn't rely on it if if it was uh, not correct. But the thing is with uh, this data we use in our football project is that it's the input is from the team itself. It's not a professional putting the data in. So the 
there are uh, a lot of places this could go wrong, but uh, we put a lot of effort in that teaching people how to make good quality data. Regardless of the type of AI project a publisher is carrying out, human oversight and rigorous checks are vital. Something CNET had to learn the hard way when errors were found in more than half of its AI-written stories at the start of 2023. Radar's Joseph Hook says that for their model, ensuring there are no mistakes is absolutely vital so that they aren't multiplied across the network. I guess the differences in our process come a little bit after that. We don't just sort of finish a story and stick it on the wire because... The risks are there that if we make a mistake, we're multiplying that mistake hundreds of times, which for admin reasons alone is a nightmare. So we have a bit more of a rigorous fact-checking or code-checking, I guess you could call it, process where you know we do all the traditional copy checks and we sub-stories and do all that stuff. But then we also make sure we spot-check a few versions to make sure the numbers look right. We go, We get somebody else who will understand the template that's been written, the code, the algorithms in there to go in and make sure that nothing's been set up in there to have unintended consequences and all that. So I'd say for us, the real difference comes in almost after the writing in how much sort of verification and checking we do, which means we're in quite a good position because we're doing probably more fact checking than people who wrote a story traditionally would do anyway. At McClatchy, getting journalists in the newsroom on board with setups, templates and checks actually helped win them over. Cynthia DeBose explains how empowering them to be the decision makers made them feel like partners in the process, not that they were being replaced. The most important part of our workflow when we started this were local, local meaning in the newsrooms, real estate reporters and editors, because they determined what this content should look like. They worked with our partners at United Robots. They decided this is what the template should do. This is how the template should be set up. They looked at length. They looked at tone. They said, include these data points. And they were training the bot. You know, they might not say they trained the bot. They might tell you we were editing some really bad copy. It would go off. It would come back. They would edit it again. Or they would say, hey, we would never... We would never describe it like this. This is how we would write it, right? And they were the decision makers. And so we promised them, and we still do when we go into a newsroom, we will never publish this until you tell us this content is ready. And we always have the ability to pause or to go back in and edit. Um, And so I think going in with that, with saying you are still the decision maker, you are you are training the bug, you're really editing copy. Um, I think those first few rounds when they saw what came in, they realized like, oh yeah, this is not this is not the same thing as, as what a reporter would, would bring in. And then that helped also because they sit next to the newsroom. And so anytime a colleague would say, Oh, now they have robots, they'd be like, No. Let me tell you, what I saw come in was nothing like what what we can do. And so that was really important to us. It was important to have our newsrooms as a partner in that process and for us to be really transparent. And we were with them from the beginning. At NTM, Jens Pettersen says that AI hasn't revolutionised the newsroom, which has been reassuring in some ways. But they ensure staff have access to the data and numbers so that they can see the value being added as well as what they can bring to the table as journalists. I think most people in the newsrooms from the very beginning, 2016, were a little bit curious 
perhaps they have some some thoughts on uh, will this actually get right? What if the data sets are wrong? Will we be publishing something that is not fact-checked by a human? What, how will that affect uh, the impression of our brand and that kind of questions? But over time, there had not been any revolutions in the newsrooms on this. Uh, everyone is quite comfortable with it. Perhaps they sometimes still don't really value this as much as the uh, manually produced uh, content that we do. But the numbers don't lie. We can get a lot of readings from, from paying subscribers on Robotext on real estate. And the human reporter might not even get on to the same level with their manually written text. And when you put into that fact with, with the numbers in the analytics dashboard, it's hard to argue that you should remove the robot. <laughs> Instead, you need to focus on what can I do as a, as a, as a journalist in this newsroom different to come up on the same level. Before we get into the next section on advice for publishers looking to get started in AI, I wanted to end this part by hearing from Charlie Beckett. He has a strong word of warning for publishers who might be considering using AI to boost traffic and says that this cannot be a race to the bottom. Uh, This technology, if you look outside of the news media, uh, it's massive and it's going to have a huge impact. and There's huge amounts of investment going into it, but there are also huge risks we know all about that, about the discrimination, for example, and people using it for bad reasons, you know, to try and control you and so on. So, again, I, uh, it's really important that the news media doesn't make mistakes. We can use this tech to create clickbait. You know, we can use this tech um, to spread a load of um, shallow, crappy journalism around the world very easily in different languages and so on. Well, well done. If that's what you want to do as a news organisation, then good luck to you but we can also use it in much more uh, interesting ways um, that sort of affirms and supports the good journalism at a time when it's incredibly needed right around the world. For publishers wanting to see how AI could help their businesses, the amount of information and options out there can feel overwhelming. We asked each of our interviewees what advice they would give to other publishers on getting started. Cynthia DeBose at McClatchy says to look at where the data tells you you have gaps and let that guide you. Cool. Well, first, I would tell you don't don't get caught up in all the hype around uh, AI, right? Because it can be overwhelming and there is a lot out there. And that's okay that there's a lot out there. Let the data guide you. Let the data show you where your gaps are, show you where you have opportunity and figure out, okay, now I have the topic or the area. How do I engage in that? How do I figure out how to use AI to leverage that? I think right now we're at a place where people are throwing a whole lot of things on the wall. And I think in our industry, we should experiment and test. Absolutely. But let's do it with impact. Let's do it where we have data and where we know, hey, if we could get this right, we knew that if we could get real estate right, we would see an impact. And so I would just advise any publisher to start there. Luke Willikens at NRC advises to keep the focus on the benefits to readers and how it fits with your company. There are two things you have to um, think about. So look through the eyes of the reader and of the eyes of the, the journalist and look at what advantage you can bring to the both parties and i think ai has to fit your company's dna 
if you're if you're working in the media and you can show that an AI project also saves time for journalists, I think then it will be a success factor everywhere because that means that journalists can focus more in what they're good at and that's bringing the right content and if they have more time for a good story or time for more stories, I think that's uh, very important for uh, for a media companies, for the future of a media company. This emphasis on the audience is one that NTM's Jens Pettersen also echoes in his advice for publishers starting out. Know your audience. What do they care about? What 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 are they interested in? What kind of geographical area are you covering? What what are the pain points in society? Can you solve some some of that stuff with robots? Uh, then you should choose choose these kind of areas or these kind of topics that, that actually would map into your uh, demography uh, locally. And also really think on every news publisher has a front page for the site or the app, which is very, uh, it has a limited uh, space for, for journalism. And how do you fit that this, this product into that production? So try to be smart on how to visualize this kind of content in your editorial mix. So it just doesn't get, get, put up on in on in the bottom of the front page like some some extra stuff use it as a true value for your customers cecilia has worked with publishers of all shapes and sizes at united robots she says that once you've identified a problem you can start with a small project or test without needing to commit to expensive pilots you want to talk about the client's problem and i think that's where everybody should start their ai journey is there some problem that we could solve through this. I mean, that's what McClatchy did. They realized they had gaps in the local uh, information flow. You know, we always try and talk around that because if you can identify a problem, you start thinking about, ooh, is there something we could do? Are there new audiences we could get if we started publishing this type of content or what else can we do? And from that, the, the discussion should then go on to, yeah, okay, uh, let's try maybe a small area, you know, maybe a few zip codes for like a, just a pilot to get everything tweaked. What should we measure? What works? What doesn't work? That's normally the model. So they'll do a small and not very expensive pilot first. So I would test and iterate like anything, uh, but always base it on the need. Starting small is a common theme in the advice given. But as Stavinger Affenblad's Ellen Stewart points out, the possibilities are endless. Uh, I would start with seeing all the possibilities uh, rather than the um, challenges because there's so many other uh, data uh, we could use for different projects like traffic, like weather. I, I think as long as you have data, it's a never-ending path of, of possibilities. So I would just try to start with, with a, a smaller project try to convince the newsroom that it's a good idea. What well, a very, very nice side effects of all those uh, projects is that we've set up a, um, a alert system that would notify us when a um, very expensive uh, house is sold, if there are celebrities uh, uh, buying or selling a house. So it's, uh, and out of these alerts, we made a lot of really good journalism. So it's that side effect also I never thought of making us more capable to to do those things that we're really good at, but we don't know they're happening. 
you know, because we don't read all those lists of, of uh, real estate sales. Just start by uh, convincing your colleague that this is a good idea and just start working. Jens explains that having a clear idea of the whole picture from the beginning can really help. However, there's also another important aspect to think about from early on, which is the follow-up. From the very beginning, you just need to, to launch it. You need to have an idea on what kind of subjects or topics do you want to, to do this on. How should you present it? You need to just have the, the, the idea on how to present it on the website and, and what, what time of day would pro- probably be the best. Uh, in what way, what, what should the headlines look like? What kind of pictures do you need to have on this? Uh, and just launch it and just get it out there and see the response from the audience and just follow it up uh, on a regular basis. What kind, what, what kind of effect does this give us? Okay, if we change this, if we instead of having uh, Google Maps pictures from the space <laughs> looking down, on, I don't know how, how you should describe that. If you, if you switch these kind of pictures uh, and instead focus on pictures taken of the actual house, does that improve uh, the reader's reception of these? Do we get more reading on this? Uh, and just do the iteration like that. Change one piece piece at a time and just uh, follow up, see what the analytics says about this, how does the audience respond. Uh, if if they respond badly, change it back to the, to the other one and try a new one. So for us, that is, I think that is the best part. You know, just do trying to do it like that. Cecilia emphasises how important it is to think about KPIs early on. What will make the project a success or what may need adjusting? Publishers need to think about how to maximise what they get out of AI implementations, as she explains. This is content that you know is going to come, so you can plan your business around it. Like, you know you're going to have all these house sale texts. Maybe you can, and this is what they've done in, at Bergens Tiedney in Norway, for example. They set up a whole vertical around home sales, which is just populated with that stuff. You could, I mean, you could add other things related to homes and you know, living, and then you you could uh, charge more for advertising on on that vertical because you know it's going to be people who um, are interested in in that topic. So you can have a premium on that inventory, and with the automation, then there is going to be a bulk of new stuff coming in all the time without you know any editorial resources really being put towards it. So you have to think the whole way through. How can we maximize what we get out of this? One mistake that some have made is, okay, somehow they think that built into this is the success of the traffic or whatever. So you just, you switch it on and leave it. You can't publish and leave. You have to treat it like any content. You have to set up KPIs. You have to measure. You have to promote. All of that is super important. Professor Charlie Beckett has a word of warning for those who might get overexcited about AI and look to implement it without clear use cases and KPIs. He argues that we're in a time of accelerated adoption and that publishers should exercise caution in how they approach AI. When you think about why does technological adaption happen in newsrooms? Because it's quite difficult, takes money, takes new skills, perhaps new people, and it takes a new strategy. So you're drowning in just doing your normal news work and then somebody comes along and says hey there's all this new technology um so what motivates people well um one of them is that you get pioneering people coming into your newsroom they kind of infect the organization with this enthusiasm and the other way is that the boss of your organization suddenly notices that his rivals or her rivals are using these technologies and they're doing rather well out of it 
Um, so that sounds a bit cynical, but that's how it's happened. And that's what's happening with us. We're increasingly, you know, we work with those pioneers, the people who we help them to go back into their newsroom uh, with the resources and the, the argument, if you like, for the best use, and the most responsible use of these technologies. So they're more convincing. Um, and we're also increasingly getting people in more leadership positions who are saying, how do I have a strategy for this? And they're actually doing it as well. I think when we started four or five years ago, um, it was much more of a kind of emergent, marginal thing, something that other people were doing. And now I think it's uh, gone mainstream. Um, so, yes, I do think that we're right in a minute at the moment of accelerated adoption. And that's always a dangerous time in a way. You mustn't just get on the bandwagon um, in a haphazard way. You don't just get jump aboard because you're panicking. It still requires thought. Why are you doing it in the first place? Is AI really the solution or is your problem solved better uh, in different ways? Uh, and then thinking, how are you going to stick with it? Have you got the people there that can review what you're doing, who can maintain the systems or tools that you're using? And ideally, can you actually come up with, then come up with either uh, products or outcomes from these technologies that's going to add to your journalism? With that, it's time to bring this special episode to a close. We'd like to extend our special thanks to McClatchy's Cynthia DeBose, Radar's Joseph Hook, Stavanger Affenblad's Ellen Stuland, NTM Group's Jens Pettersen, and NRC Media's Luke Willikens for speaking to us about how they've been using AI in their newsrooms. A huge thanks also to LSE's Professor Charlie Beckett and United Robots' Cecilia Campbell for taking the time to provide valuable additional context and experience to this episode. If you found this interesting and want to learn more about the publishers we've spoken to and how publishers can get started with this technology, we at Media Voices have released an accompanying report to this episode, written by our very own Peter Houston. You can download it for free by going to voices.media slash practical AI. A final thanks to the sponsors of this report and episode, United Robots. Their mission is to empower local news publishers by helping free up reporter time, expand coverage and grow the business by providing routine reporting produced by robots on structured data on topics like sports and real estate. They've helped a number of publishers cited in the report get started with automated content and are hugely knowledgeable about the real opportunities in AI for publishers. You can find out more about them at unitedrobots.ai. We'll be back with another season of the Media Voices podcast next month. Our latest season of the podcast is available on all good podcast platforms by searching for Media Voices. We talk to senior executives from places like Substack, Time, Semaphore, the FT and Hearst about everything from newsletters to magazine centenaries. In the meantime, we're continuing to publish our daily newsletter, which brings you the top four media stories in your inbox each day. You can sign up for that on our website, voices.media, as well as find past episodes, analysis, and of course, our new AI report. This episode has been produced and narrated by me, Esther Kaziah-Thorpe, with interviews conducted by my co-host, Peter Houston. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the report.